Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. So I've titled this morning's message, uh, Being Sure of God's Glorious Church. I want you to leave this morning. This is my prayer, my hope, that you will be sure of God's beautiful, eternal plans for his glorious church that we are part of in this day, in this generation. And that we come in, as it were, into a car, into a garage this morning for an MOT, and we look at some of the marks, four marks of this church, and we go, yes, I understand. This is what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to me to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me just back up context, because I'm aware we have a broad uh, selection of people, young Christians, non-Christians, Christians who've been a Christian for a while. We're in the book of Acts. We've had a, Jesus has returned to heaven. He's told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you as orphans. You're going to receive the gift my Father has promised. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost comes. 3,000 people get added to the church. 3,000 in one day. One meeting. Incredible. And then the church starts to gather. It knows huge blessing in Jerusalem. It's, it's made out of, of Jewish converts, people from, who are Jews converting to Christianity to make Jesus their Lord. And then uh, the number of disciples is increasing, so they're appointing new guys. And they appoint one guy called Stephen, and he has his first ever open-air preach, and they kill him. I don't know if you've ever preached in the open air, but it might have gone wrong. But Stephen's one and only sermon, which was a pretty good sermon, and he was stoned to death. And actually, at that moment, a huge persecution, this is how it begins in what we've just read, breaks out upon the church. And everybody is scattered. Everybody, apart from the apostles. We'll come back to them later. And some of these Christians who are scattered, now you've got to really, I always think with, 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 when you're reading the Bible, you've got to put yourself into the Bible. You've got to put yourself into the story. You've been a carpenter, you've been a nurse, you've been a, a solicitor, you've been a road sweeper in London for years and years and years, and suddenly there's a persecution, suddenly you are being taken, and you're going many, many miles away to a third biggest city in the world at the time, Roman city, and you're arriving, you don't know anybody, uh, you've got a few other believers who've been scattered from Westminster Chapel with you, and uh, what are you going to do? They do something breathtakingly amazing because they start to share the gospel for the very first time with Gentiles. Up until now, there's a few sort of the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius' house. There's a few little exceptions, but up till now, the gospel has been preached mostly, almost exclusively to Jews. Now, a few of them, Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jews, speak to their Greek neighbors, people who can understand their language, and start talking about Jesus. And people start getting saved. It's amazing. The gospel bears fruit. And there are four things that we see in this early church, this new center of gravity that God is preparing for great missional advance to the end of the earth that I want you to see. And the first is 
that we need to recognize the church is a sent people. We are a sent people. It says here in verse 22, it says, When news of what was going on, this little mini revival in Antioch, this city, this city which is full of pagans, people starting to becoming Christians, verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, HQ if you like, and they sent Barnabas, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. A revival has broken out in Antioch. Large numbers of people getting saved. News comes back, the jungle drums are beating and Jerusalem sent Barnabas. Barnabas is an apostle. An apostle, apostello, means a sent one. The church sent Barnabas. What do they send him for? To check out it was all okay? Yeah, you bet but also to strengthen and encourage what God was doing. So Barnabas gets stuck in and he realizes actually his gift isn't enough. He needs another sent one to come and help him. So he goes off. It says, uh, it says here that he goes off and he goes down looking for a, to Tarsus, verse 25, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. What is a great number? I don't know. Probably more than we're in the room. Wouldn't it have been great to have Saul and Barnabas teaching you every day or every week the Bible? been pretty impressive, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd just love to have been there. They're just, but they're sent ones. And they're reminding the church that they are a sent people. Our identity is that we are sent. If salvation was the end game, we become a Christian, hallelujah, and Jesus says, right, I'll take you home immediately. Wouldn't that be incredible? This morning, someone becomes a Christian, boop, they disappear. Hallelujah. Straight to heaven. But no, we're left on earth for a mission and we're being sent on a mission. The minute we become a Christian, we are being sent to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families. That's our identity. It comes from our Savior, Jesus. He is the ultimate sent one. It says... I love this uh, in Hebrews 3. I think it's a wonderful description. It says in Hebrews 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, that's us, fix your thoughts on Jesus, got it, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Jesus is our high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. He's the one who's made a way through the curtain so that we can approach our Father. But he's also our great apostle. It says in, uh, uh, is it 1 John 4, 14? The father sent, apostello, the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Jesus was sent from heaven. Jesus didn't sort of, sort of meander down from heaven and, hey, there's a few work, things for me to do this morning. No, Jesus was sent on a mission and a mission to rescue the world from the devil's clutches and to bring to himself a people for all eternity. Jesus says to his disciples 
In uh, Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. The disciples were first called apostles, sent ones. He sent the apostles out, the disciples out, into this world in order to take the mission to this world. It says uh, Ephesians 4, um, which is the sort of Himalayas, the Everest of all great doctrine for me and for many. Ephesians 4, it says, The one who ascended on high, that's Jesus, also descended. And as he ascended, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for their works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So Jesus ascends and he gives to his church sent ones in order to help the church do their mission. I hope you're getting hold of this. You've got to try and understand we're not here in London to get on a cruise boat and cruise up and down the Thames for the next 20 years. And we say to the pastors, bring us some more wine. Cheese and wine would be really nice. No, we're the lifeboat service. We're the ones who exist to rescue and to reach and to save people who are drowning, even though they may not know they're drowning. That's our identity. In every age, Christ gives gifts to his church of the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. That's so we can be the people of God. That's so the church can rescue the lost. That's so the church can build a community here on earth. Our identity is we are sent. The second thing I want you to notice in this is the importance of unity. Um, It says here, uh, and this this is so important, and I hope I can communicate this this morning. That these people, their identity, the disciples, were first called Christians or nicknamed Christians first at Antioch. These were Greeks-speaking Gentiles. The people who took the gospel to them were Jews. Now this divide between Jew and Gentile is so massive that we have very little to compare it with. There was utter hatred between these two groups of people. In fact, the Jews would have sayings like, why did God create Gentiles? To fuel the flames of hell. That's not very nice, is it? That's how they viewed them. And here we have the gospel being shared by Jews to Gentiles, and the Gentiles saying, hey, can we come in? Can we belong? Did Jesus die for us? Is that sacrifice enough for us? And, and, and the door was thrown open and people starting to bow the knee and believe on Jesus and they were welcomed in. And Barnabas comes and goes, hey, this is incredible. This is a diversity, this is a bringing together of two groups of people that don't mix oil and water. This is not something that's ever happened before, but the gospel is powerful enough to do that. In 1961, a wall was built in Europe. 
It didn't come down to 1994. It separated East and West. It separated communism from capitalism and from the West, East versus West, the Berlin Wall. The Chinese built the Great Wall of China to keep the Mongols out from invading China. We're very good at building walls, the human race. Even if you read your Old Testament, you understand something of the temple. You understand there's walls, there's courtyards, and, 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 and you don't go beyond that wall. If you're in the Gentile court, you don't go beyond that. If you're in the woman's court, you certainly don't go into the men's court. There are walls built and gates, and you need to know the importance of keeping your side of the wall. Donald Trump wants to, wanted to build a wall between Mexico and the United States. We're always trying to build walls. But the gospel breaks down walls. It unifies what the world says is impossible to unify. The gospel alone unifies and brings about one new people, one new race. Turn with me to Ephesians. Let's climb in the high space, the air, the Everest air, Ephesians 2 verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, this is Jews and Gentiles, one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the divining wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. This is the glorious, wonderful gospel. The gospel alone unifies. The gospel alone says the entry qualification is lose your life. You don't come in as a white British person and hold on to that identity. You come in as a sinner that needs grace. Whatever the nationality, whatever your background, rich, young, poor, educated, whatever you are, you don't bring that to to the cross. You lose all that in order for you to be adopted and become part of the family of God. Why is it then, brothers and sisters, we we come through the cross, we bow the knee, we believe on Jesus Christ, and then we come into the family of God and we say, actually, I want to hold on. Hold on to what Christ died for, the, the, the hostility, the dividing walls, the arrogance, the pride that comes from my past. We've died to that. You know, I was out in America, and... Uh, I had an American, if there's Americans people, please apologize beforehand. Don't want to offend you. But I went to a church, and in this church it was all white. Completely white church. Outside, I'd been outside in the city, it was very diverse. Very, very diverse. So I said to the, one of the leaders there, I said, where, where, where are the black people? Where are the Hispanic people, Latin people? Latin people, where are they? And uh, he said, well, they have their own churches. We know how to do race. We can teach you in England a few things. We know how to do race. They have, blacks have their churches. Hispanics have their churches. Whites have their churches. That's not what we're reading in the Bible. We're reading in this text that actually 
Christ has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. That the church of Jesus Christ should always be rich and poor, young and old, black and white. And it shouldn't be any one group that's in the ascendancy that's telling the rest of us how to behave. What God is building here is amazing. So many nationalities. But every one of these nationalities needs to find the space and the voice to become, make the church, the church of Jesus Christ. That means leading, that means speaking, that means preaching, that means worship, that means serving in the coffee shop. We want to build the most diverse church in London. We want to build a community that love Jesus Christ and that our unity is on him and in him alone. That's who we are. You know, in the Shawshank Redemption, and it's, not, it's my favorite, one of my favorite films, but it's not one I'd really want to recommend because it's so violent. But Morgan Freeman, who's called Red in the film, he has this incredible quote. He says this, walls make you crazy. Walls make you crazy. But he says, after a while, you get used to them. You don't even notice them. And then one day, he said, one day comes when you realize you need them. Christ wants to break down the dividing walls in this church again and again and again. So there's no needy person amongst us. Those with wealth aren't looking at the people who haven't got wealth and saying, well, you you deserve it. You keep where you are. We're reaching and building a community an outpost of heaven on earth. Amen. Here in the heart of the city, where anyone can come in, anyone can feel welcome and belong. Amen. Everyone can identify, this is a place where I can belong. Amen. And that means, brothers and sisters, God has to deal with our heart. Because in our heart, we love to build walls. So here's your two-minute break. Turn to the person beside you, behind you, whatever it is, And in two minutes, just say, what's your takeaway? What's your challenge? What have you most provoked by so far in this message? Two minutes, and I'll call you back. Okay, let's let's finish off the last two points in this next ten minutes, because uh, our identity is we're sent. Our identity is we are diverse. God wants to build diverse churches made up of the towns, the people in the cities and villages and towns we reach. The next thing you see here is the importance of releasing. Jerusalem releases Barnabas. The church in Antioch releases finance. It says a famine comes and Agapus prophesies it's going to happen and The disciples, in verse 29, release finances to provide help for those living in Judea. Release is about putting feathers in other people's wings. When I was in India 10 years ago, I had a very unusual phone call. It was a person never met before. I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but he'd heard I'd come to Mumbai. He didn't speak a word of English, and he was a prophet. So this was not going to go well, I didn't think. As the person said to me, there's a person on the phone, he's a prophet, he wants to prophesy over you. Do you want to take the call? I was like, well, might as well, you know, we can soon call this off. Anyway, this guy called Shadu, uh, who I've subsequently met, 
uh, he starts this prophetic thing talking about my stomach condition, which is nobody in this church knows about, but I have a medical condition, which is God has provided his grace all the way through my life since 95, where I became ill. And he started talking about my medical condition, which was like, who on earth is this? Through an interpreter. This was all coming through an interpreter. So he had my attention. And then he said, I want you, God wants you to know what your ministry is. And he says, your ministry is about putting feathers in other people's wings so they can soar higher than you'll ever go and see things of God that you'll never see. And you know what? That's shaped the whole of my life since. My gift, my leadership, my preaching this morning is all about helping you to fly high in God. It's about putting feathers in your wings that you would go higher with God, know God, love God, serve God, see things in God I might never see. It's about releasing you to your work of service. Barnabas saw the evidence of the grace of God. Have you ever pondered what that meant? Imagine Barnabas walking here and he, and he goes, just want to share a testimony at the end of this meeting. Just saw the evidence of the grace of God. Thank you. And leads. Hang on. What, what, what was the evidence of the grace of God? Well, we know because we've looked at the diversity. We, we know that one of the evidences is that Jew and Gentile are now one, worshipping Jesus together as one. But we see three other marks, which I just want to say as a church, we need to make sure are always the marks of this church. We see that they were devoted to the Bible. A whole year, a whole year they taught the disciples. A whole year, great numbers of people gathered to sit under the word of God. We want to build a church which loves the word of God. Amen. Which gives ourselves to the word of God, that does the word of God. We don't want a sound bite of 20 minutes on a Sunday and that's our, our, our diet for the week done. No, no, no. We want to have people who love the Word of God, who dig deep in the Word of God, who keep going back to the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, that we are, our blood is Bibline, as someone once said. It's biblical. It says here on verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. The hand of the Lord is an Old Testament reference to the Holy Spirit. It says about Barnabas in verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit through Agapus predicted a prophecy about a famine. This community was indwelt, empowered, suffused with the Holy Spirit. Our church, Westminster Chapel, needs to be a people who love the word, but we love the Spirit. That we'll give huge amounts of money because someone prophesied there's going to be a need over here or a need over there. And we say, well, if there's going to be a need and God's speaking to us, we're going to give. That means, brothers and sisters, we need the whole body, not Guy or Andy or anybody else who's going to prophesy or, or bring the word. We want the whole body motivated to bring their gifts to King Jesus Sunday by Sunday. We are a charismatic church. That means... Gifts are amongst the church. That means you're all musicians and you're coming to a great orchestra play and you've got guy with a tambourine going ching, 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 ching and you just listen to that. 
What's the cello sing silent, the piano sing silent? Come on, church, we've got to hear an orchestra play Sunday by Sunday. And every week, somebody else will play differently. And thank God for the tambourine. The hand of the Lord needs to be on us. We need to be spirit-filled. And thirdly, we need to be grace-filled. There needs to be nothing of rules and regulations. How do you behave at Westminster Chapel? I mean, God help us. If we have to dress in a certain way or behave in a certain way. I thank God that we've come to this place where there's such freedom without our uniform or pedigree or buildings or rules or religious ways of doing breaking of bread or whatever it might be. Legalism dominates the church in the West. It kills it's like a vine that creeps up and sucks the very life out of the, the people of God. Legalism is something that needs to be destroyed. Grace is an amazing freedom to be who we are in God, the holy people of God, free to be ourselves. And finally, equipping. And uh, this is what I call discipleship with depth. So a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, we've got a problem because in Antioch, in the city, this church was so loving Jesus, so following Jesus, that city nicknamed them Christians. Mini-Christs. That's what it means. Little Jesuses. In other words, where, where the baker went in, it was, oh, Jesus, 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 talking about Jesus. Where the, where the, where the person went in to mend the cart, where the, where the farmer was there, where the shop seller was there, everybody was talking about Jesus. And the, and the, and, and the city goes, oh, here they come again, the little Jesuses. <laughs> now, the problem is in the West, we're using the word Christian so casually, it doesn't mean anything. We need to lose that language ourselves. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, so is that person on the television who says he doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't believe in Jesus. And no, we need to say we're followers of Jesus. Amen. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're discipled by Jesus. We're following him. Amen. Because then if our lifestyle doesn't match up to that, the world will let us know. There are three types of knowledge or cleverness. There is observational knowledge, people who notice things, notice wildlife, notice plants, notice people's names, notice what's going on in the city. In the city. People, there are some very clever people who, who, who observe. I mean, go outside and you'll see there's not many of them in London because most of them are walking along like this. They could walk past a hippo and an elephant and they'd never see it. All they'd see is, you know, their soap star or Buckingham Palace is another thousand paces up here on the right. There are the intellectual people, people who are good at passing exams, reading books, lots of intellectuals, book clever. And there's the experiential cleverness. This is the common view of Scripture, what it means to be wise. God wants us to be wise. That means we don't just listen to this message, we put it into practice. Amen. We're asking God, what is it this morning you want me to do Amen. to bless this church and be a member and a part of this incredible body 
so that I might serve your purposes in the days in which I'm living. I love the fact that these disciples gave themselves to the word of God, but then they gave themselves to putting it into practice. This church, it's rumoured, and I've read a very fascinating historical book, they reckon this city could have numbered half a million to a million, and they reckon that by the second century, there will be over 100,000 people as part of this church. They so influenced. How do they do that? They did education, they did the poor, they looked after people. They were just in the warp and woof of the city, bringing the love of Jesus and introducing people to Jesus Christ. They put what they learnt from the Bible into practice. Now, Hebrews 12, 11 is um, a verse which I'd love you to... We're going to finish with this verse because it's a verse that jumped out at me the other day and I, just, I had to smile. It says, uh, in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, No discipline, this is God disciplining us, seems pleasant at the time but painful. That's true, isn't it? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The word trained, the Greek word is gymnazo, from which we get gymnasium. Now here's the revelation I I received when I, I read this. When we come to church on Sunday, what do we picture we're coming into? I've never pictured that we're coming into a gymnasium. I've never pictured the elders as uh, sort of like people who are your personal trainer. who are saying, get on the treadmill and start running. But they are in some ways. Because we're being trained, we're being equipped. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. There are things we need to leave behind. There are things, weight we need to lose. The sweet tooth we need to have addressed. The things of the world which attract us and and pull us off course. We need to be reminded of Christ. We need to be reminded of the centrality of the gospel. We need to keep being changed into his likeness. And that means sometimes it feels painful. So if this message is being painful this morning, my apologies, but I believe we need to be everything the Bible asks us to be. And that means, brothers and sisters this morning, we need to realize we're a sent people. We really need to realize we're a diverse people who have one Lord, one Savior. We're one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. We're a people who are united by the work of Christ. We're a people who are released. Everyone is released. Not one or two released. Everyone's released. Everyone's getting feathers in their wings this morning so that they can soar higher in God. And we all need equipping. We're all meant to be disciples. From the guy who's preaching at at the front of the meeting this morning to the newest Christian in the room, we all need to keep being changed to become more like Jesus so that we... Would it ever be said of me or you or us, all you ever get, all you ever see is Jesus Christ when you meet them. Our nickname is with Mini Christs. Imagine 41 years of being married to Heather. Married a... Imagine... A woman walks into the back of the meeting, dressed in loose clothing, giving me the eye, and I'm preaching, but I'm starting to... What would you 
think of me. Imagine Heather comes in, she's beaten up, she's bruised, she's ignored, her hair's lank. I'd never speak to her, hardly pay her any attention at all. What would you say of my leadership then? Jesus says in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, you've forsaken your first love. This message isn't for me alone. It's for all of us. God wants to build something beautiful in our day and our generation, and he is building something beautiful. We've seen the evidence of the grace of God over these last few years, but there's more. And I want you to be sure this morning about one thing. Sure that the hope of the world rests with the local church. We're the gospel carriers. We're the ones who have been sent into the world to rescue the lost. We are the people of God, the apple of his eye. We are the bride of Christ, and he's coming back for his bride. And he wants us to be ready. Why don't we stand and the worship team please come up to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray for us. Lift your hands before the King. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you. We know you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, we've felt the fierce breath of the enemy. We've known difficulties and hardships and setback, but we believe in your promise that you will build your church. And we believe what you've begun, you will bring to completion. So I pray for every brother and sister, every family member this morning, that, Lord, they would see the church as you see the church. It wouldn't be an afterthought in any of our minds or just something we put to one side. But, Lord, we give ourselves to building what Christ is building on the earth, a city on a hill, the joy of the whole earth. Help us to build and be members. Help us as an orchestra not to tune out when the sermon finishes, but to tune in to the Holy Spirit. May Sunday by Sunday, the music, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may they all be in operation. And may we bow in reverence and awe as our bridegroom, our magnificent Jesus, moves amongst us. And we tell him we love him. We give our all to him. We're his and his alone. Come, Holy Spirit, seal this word into our heart. May it find good soil and may it produce disciples of Jesus Christ in this day in which we're living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.